Hey everyone, and welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. On this episode, we're going to be talking about anime episodes 65 through 67, which will be covering manga chapters 107 through 114. So it covers quite a bit of the story, which is awesome. We finally get to see an epic matchup between crewmates Luffy and Zoro, as well as some incredible revelations about the bigger story and our first saga in the Grand Line. So let's get on with the synopsis. Zoro faces off against a hundred Baroque Works bounty hunters who are trying to collect Luffy's bounty. But for Zoro, this is just a great test run for his new swords as he toys with them. However, Two new conflicts roll in with Luffy misunderstanding the situation and ends up picking a fight with Zoro as well as a couple of Baroque Works officer Asians roll in to take care of a loose end as we discover that Miss Wednesday and Mr. Eight are actually Princess Vivi and her royal guard Igaram who have been working undercover to infiltrate Baroque Works to try and save their home country of Alabasta. With their cover blown, Igaram pleads to the Straw Hats to help and save Vivi. So getting into differences, like most of the Whiskey Peak episodes, these are adapted incredibly faithfully and have very few changes. There are two small ones that I found. The first, when Igaram is killed, Nami has a small inner dialogue when she sees Vivi trying to hold in her pain and hugs Vivi in the manga. Nami actually thinks to herself, this girl is strong. I actually like this change in the anime to remove this and just have her hug her. This is a great example of show don't tell because of the anime format. We can actually see that what Nami is thinking based on her facial reactions instead of having to be told it through an inner dialogue. The second change is something uh, inversely I really don't like at all, even though it's really minor. But just before the boat with Igaram on it explodes, we see a bunch of hands appearing out of the darkness to imply that whatever these hands are, they cause the explosion. I won't really say more about this to try not to spoil anything, but this shot isn't in the manga. You actually just see the boat explode and you don't know how. You just assume that it was attacked by cannonballs or something. But beyond that, yeah, there really is no changes. And I really like the fact that not only is the pacing amazing in these episodes, but they stay incredibly faithful to the manga. So yeah, let's get on with my thoughts about these episodes. So picking up where we left off, we start with Zoro taking on the entirety of the Baroque Works bounty hunters. For him, this is just a great test run of his new swords, the Sandai Kitetsu and the Yubashiri. This was really awesome to see Zoro just completely dominate and toy with a group of bad guys. There's just something really cool about Zoro shown as this invincible force. For some reason, it never gets old and Oda manages to always keep Zoro interesting without him becoming this one-note, invincibly strong guy. We also get to see a side of Zoro being pretty scary and intimidating once he takes out Miss Monday by, by just destroying her with just flat out strength which is pretty cool to see. Often we see that kind of behavior from the villains being this sort of intimidating and unstoppable force but this time it's actually our heroes and it's kind of fun to see. One interesting that Zoro mentions is that he can actually feel the Sandai Kitetsu and it almost seems to have a will of its own adding to that sort of cursed nature. And it's interesting that they bring this up because the curse, when I first read through this and saw this, I just assumed it was just some some sort of bad luck. But there's actually a lot more mysticism, it seems, towards cursed swords. And I like that there's something more going on with them. And it'll be interesting to see if they expand upon this in the future. We also get to see a new technique of Zoro's, a two-sword style move called Takanami or Hawk Wave. 
It's interesting because Takanami never actually reappears if I remember correctly. This is the only time he actually uses it. I don't know why. Like all the other moves seem to come back in some form or another, but Takanami never seems to actually come back, which is odd for being a named move for Zoro. So after taking out Miss Monday, we also get the funny misinterpretation of the wanted poster thinking that the Marines made a mistake and that Zoro is actually the true captain and not Luffy just based on their appearances and how strong Zoro appears to be. Then this would start a long trend of people mistaking Zoro as the captain based on his appearance and strength and his intimidating nature compared to Luffy's happy-go-lucky, flimsy, friendly demeanor that he has. And people often mistake Zoro as being the captain rather than Luffy because of how ridiculous it seems how someone like Luffy could be stronger than Zoro. Another win in the creativity category for Oda is the fighting styles of each of the Baroque Works numbered agents. Mr. Nine with his acrobats, which is a pretty cool wordplay, Miss Wednesday with her hypnosis perfume dance, and Igarapoi's saxophone shotgun is one of my personal favorites as it's just so out there. Actually, now that I think about it, I forgot to mention one of the differences. As I mentioned in last episode, how Miss Wednesday's shirt has these diagonal stripes as opposed to the circular stripe pattern in the manga. Well, this part is also changed too. In the manga, she uses this sort of hypnosis dance, which is why she has that circular pattern in her shirt. But in the anime, they've for some reason changed the hypnosis dance to a perfume dance, which is why she has that sort of the diagonal stripe shirt. And she uses perfume since she's no longer hypnotizing him because it makes no sense to hypnotize somebody with diagonal stripes. I don't know. But I, for the life of me, don't know why they changed this. Because it doesn't seem that suggestive or, or inappropriate in any way. So I don't know if there was just some something maybe about the hypnosis no triggering seizures i i don't know maybe they just changed it for whatever reason but yeah that is one difference that i forgot to mention above during the fighting we cut back to the rest of the crew sleeping but nami obviously being the smartest and cautious member of the crew has not fallen for the trick either and is wide awake and ready to steal some of the bounty hunters money but just when the conflict seems to be over a couple new agents appear and we get the appearance of mr five and miss valentine one thing i love about the Baroque works and how Oda sets them up is the code name system and tying it to their rankings and strength. So the closer to zero, the stronger they are. And so we get these single digit agents, especially from five to zero. We know that these agents are strong and progressively they'll get stronger as we see them. And whenever we meet new villains, we can immediately get a sense of how strong they are and it helps to build up suspense and expectations. And I always found that really fun while reading through this entire saga is every time we run into a new Baroque Works agent, we can kind of tell, oh, this guy is stronger. Or this girl is much stronger than the last one. And we kind of get like a sense of anticipation for what kind of conflict is going to come our way. However, the crazy twist here is that Mr. Five and Miss Valentine aren't here to help in taking out the Straw Hats, but they're actually aiming to take out Igarapoi or Mr. Eight and Miss Wednesday because they are actually from a kingdom called Alabasta and Mr. Eight is the squad captain or royal guard Igaram 
and Miss Wednesday is Princess Vivi. They have been revealed to be undercover in the organization to discover their boss's identity and plans. The focus almost completely shifts to this subplot as it's now a race for survival of the princess and escape from Mr. Five and Miss Valentine. One thing I just noticed with this rewatch is how Miss Wednesday's personality and body language change along with her appearance as soon as she's found out, starting with the hairband being kicked off by Miss Valentine and when Vivi's hair comes down, it's a pretty stark difference in terms of just demeanor and you can immediately tell when she shifts from acting like Miss Wednesday to becoming Princess Vivi. And I don't know how I missed that all these times of watching that episode, but it is a very clear transition. Right when Miss Valentine kicks that hairband off and the hair comes down, you immediately see Vivi as opposed to Miss Wednesday. I think that's really cool, actually. With Vivi on the run and Mr. Five's pair in pursuit, Igaram pleads with Zoro to save her, but Zoro obviously doesn't want to help these people who are just trying to kill him. But Nami overhearing everything decides this is a great time to cut a deal and make some money. I love how even Zoro sees this more like extortion and ransom, <laughs> the way Nami's approaching it, and it's pretty funny. And this inter interaction between Nami and Zoro is just hilarious. I love Nami manipulating the crew, and especially Zoro's exaggerated and exasperated voice. Like, Nakai Kazuya does this so well when he's just like screaming at Nami. And they call back to Zoro's debt in Logtown, which is pretty hilarious too, how Nami hasn't forgotten that and Zoro even though he paid her back <laughs> never paid the interest on that loan and true to Nami's character and how meticulous she is about money she wants to collect on the fact that Zoro still owes her 200 million berries or 200,000 berries with Zoro unwillingly forced to go and save Vivi on Nami's behalf Zoro shows up at the last minute to save Vivi from Mr. Five's nose fancy cannon which is hilarious <laughs> not to mention Zoro's reaction to him cutting a booger, it's like a combination of shock, disgust, and anger at what he had just done and what he was made to do. And we find out that Mr. Five's power is a devil's fruit power and he ate the bomb bomb fruit or bomu bomu no mi and now any part of his body is an explosive bomb. Which is a pretty cool ability, I must say. Just when Zoro is about to take on the pair, Luffy shows up all worked up and in his fat form to punish Zoro for cutting down all the quote-unquote great townsfolk who threw them a party and fed them. <laughs> While this scene is cool and really hilarious to watch from a story perspective, this fight just makes no sense and kind of seems out of character for Luffy. I get Luffy misunderstanding and wanting to punish Zoro at first, but then Zoro explains the situation and Luffy just doesn't believe him. I mean, it still hasn't been that long since they've been a crew together, but Luffy is the kind of person who puts a lot of trust in his crew, and I feel like he wouldn't doubt his crew's words over some random party thrower. It just seems really weird, especially when he says he wants to go as far as being willing to kill Zoro. Like, I get a captain wanting to punish their crew for doing something wrong, but flat out killing him for this seems like a really gross overreaction and not really true to Luffy, just given what we've shown that he's tr how trusting he is of his crew. To me, this fight always seemed like it was something mandated by his editors because his arc had no real main villains or major conflict. They wanted some kind of noteworthy event that took place to keep reader interest, which I feel like was completely unnecessary as this arc was plenty interesting without any of that. But luckily this fight is actually really short. 
Anyways, with that rant out of the way, there were some really fun things about this section, like Zoro's reaction to Luffy challenging him with that exaggerated HA! And the part I enjoy the most is not so much Luffy and Zoro trading blows, while it is always interesting to see who's stronger among the monster trio, but what really makes this fight fun is the fact that up till now, the intimidating Mr. Five pair are completely a non-factor when coming up against Luffy and Zoro. They're trying to eliminate anyone who stands in their way of capturing Vivi, but ultimately, they just keep getting interrupted by Luffy and Zoro's fight. I especially love the part where Miss Valentine is floating above Zoro to kill him, but Zoro is completely focused on trying to explain to Luffy the situation and to reason with him and you can even hear Miss Valentine in the background talking and she comes crashing down with her 10,000 kilogram press but Zoro just dodges it by turning slightly as if he wasn't even trying to dodge it he was just merely turning so that he could get his bandana off his arm and it's, it's so funny I never get tired of watching that scene. And then there's the awesome scene of the pair getting tired of being blown around by Luffy and Zoro's fight and turn their attention to kill Luffy and Zoro, but they're having none of it anymore and are annoyed at them interrupting their fight. So in an instant, just completely destroy both of them with one hit and the faces of terror when Luffy and Zoro yell at them to quit being so damn annoying is funny but it's drawn a hundred times funnier in the manga I mean seriously it's funny in the anime but go check out that one panel of their faces as they're just about to be hit by Zoro and Luffy I mean Miss Valentine especially is so funny in the manga with the Mr. Five pair out of the way Luffy and Zoro trade a few more blows but then are stopped by Nami and we finally get everyone on the same page and Nami negotiating to get a reward for saving Vivi but she tells them she can't pay as her country Alabasta is under a takeover plot from Baroque Works and explains the whole situation which sets up the stakes and background for what would be the rest of this current major saga for One Piece. One quick aside here, something that makes me laugh every time is when Vivi mentions Igaram and Luffy calls him Tube Man in the translation but in Japanese he calls him Chikuano-san or Chikua Man and so Chikua is a Japanese jelly-like food product made from ingredients like fish, surimi, salt, sugar, starch, and monosodium glutamate. I guess that's what it's says on the wikipedia i've never really questioned what's in it <laughs> which i probably should at this point but i like eating chikua anyways and it, and after mixing them well they are wrapped in uh, like a bamboo or like a metal stick and then they're steamed or broiled and so they're like these little tube shaped fish cakes essentially and and they're usually put into oden but luffy just associating igaram and the way he looks with food is just so on point for his character and it's freaking hilarious anyways that sort of weird tangent over uh going back to the main stuff luffy then asks vivi with enthusiastic curiosity who the anonymous boss of baroque works is and both vivi and nami just freak out and discourage vivi from revealing it but her explanation of why she shouldn't reveal that accidentally reveals it to be a member of the shibukai named crocodile and the reaction of everyone in this scene is so freaking funny luffy with that surprise but blank face kajju saying who now and <laughs> i love i love how tanako Mayumi does the 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 line in japanese she's like that is that it's just so calm and Nami and Vivi's way over the top exaggerated terror faces and then Zoro just kind of being mildly annoyed mentioning you just said it 
This scene is so perfect. It's so funny too. I yeah, I just love all of their reactions. Then it immediately cuts to the unluckies having seen this, and they're just perched right above them and getting ready to report back to their boss. <laughs> Nami now completely beside herself at the horror and anger towards Vivi is funny. But true to their characters, both Luffy and Zoro are excited at the prospect of facing another Shichibukai. And the cherry on top is Nami is trying to walk away, saying that their faces haven't been revealed yet so they can still get away. But then you have Mr. 13 <laughs> making incredibly well-drawn sketches of them all, with Nami actually applauding him <laughs> in this sort of absurdist humor. It's pretty funny as well. The entire rest of this section is full of hilarious moments, particularly from Luffy, but Vivi offering... <laughs> Nami, her savings of 500,000 berries is pretty funny too, as it's almost nothing compared to what Nami was actually asking for. <laughs> this scene is so funny. I, I love watching these types of interactions with, with the characters. And even though it's just pure exposition with Vivi just explaining everything to us and the Straw Hats, the things she's revealing and setting up are so damn interesting and exciting that you don't really care that it's just straight up exposition. The idea of our Straw Hats getting sucked into a government takeover plot by a huge underground secret organization headed by Eishibukai that holds a bounty four times that of Arlong just makes our brains go wild just conjuring up what on earth is waiting for them at the end of this journey and how they're going to go up against something like that. This scene does such an amazing job setting everything up for the next several episodes and it's incredible and it's all packaged in this hilarious but very informative scene. We then get Igram who shows up dressed up as Vivi but not a very good disguise with a plan to draw everyone's attention to give Vivi and the Straw Hats enough time to escape but asks Luffy if he will help them and take on Vivi to protect her and guide her back to Alabasta. Of course, Luffy being the good guy he is, he just accepts without any question. And here we also get another bit of info about the Grand Line and its navigation. In addition to the log post explanation that we got earlier from Crocus, we now get introduced to something called the Eternal Post, which is essentially a log post that permanently has the direction of any one island set to it, which makes sense that there would be something like that that exists to make travel for island inhabitants possible in the Grand Line. Otherwise, how would you get like trade and travel in the Grand Line if you constantly have to wait for the log posts to fill. Also another random Japanese fact, uh, fun fact for you, the dummies you see that Igaram is carrying that are supposed to be stand-ins for Vivi and the rest of the Straw Hats, their faces have what's called the Heno Heno Mo Heji faces, which is what usually gets put on nondescript generic human faces like on scarecrows and stuff. It's made of several Japanese hiragana characters with the he making up the eyebrows, the no making up the eyes, and usually a, the mo and the third he making up the nose and mouth, with the g making the outline of the face. On Igaram's dummies though, there's a slight variance with the chi character making the head outline, and the u and the n characters making the nose and mouth, which... I guess there are several variations of this. I don't, I don't really know too much about it, but I do see... If you watch anime, you see a lot of this everywhere. Particularly if you're a Naruto fan, you see it on uh, when Kakashi summons the dogs. It'll often be on their backs. In fact, if you see like uh, Pakun, the pug, it's on, it's on the back of his little vest, which is really cute. 
With Igor, I'm hopeful and wishing everyone a safe journey. Something that actually really shocked me and took took a quick dark turn was that Igaram is just swiftly blown up and killed in an instant after leaving the shore of Whiskey Peak. And this was a pretty shocking and powerful moment because I never saw this coming at all when I first read this. And all I can say is that it's sad, but really gets things back into the, that more serious mode. This scene also especially shows everyone's character incredibly well in how they respond. Like, I, I really like how this scene plays out in terms of each character. Luffy's simple but respectful and emphatic response for both of them, and paying his respects to Igaram by yelling out, He was a great man! And Zoro immediately taking charge and directs everybody on what they need to do to get to safety. Nami showing compassion for Vivi by hugging her and reassuring her that they can and will help her. Nami here especially I really love because a minute ago she was acting all selfish and trying to extort money from Vivi. And ready to abandon Vivi for Nami's own safety. But upon seeing Vivi's pained reaction immediately shows what kind of person Nami really is deep down. One that is caring, kind, and won't let anyone who needs needs help down, even without consideration for our own safety and the payment. This moment really just hits me on an emotional level because we get to see everyone just their raw and emotional state and shows how good people react in a situation like this. Then we get to Vivi. We just met this girl, but already we know her incredible internal strength and resilience. We've seen her bite down on her lip to avoid showing how hurt she is in order to appear strong and in control, which was an incredible setup for this emotional moment, as this time it really hits hard because she's in so much pain that she's biting down hard enough to draw blood, which is just heartbreaking. I mean, up till now, we've seen her bite down during the whole Mr. Five and Miss Valentine conflict and every time something didn't go according to plan or they threatened something, she bites down on a lip in frustration or out of out of pain. But by seeing all of that, then this scene, it just hits so much harder because now you see that she's biting down hard enough that, it, yeah, it's bleeding. And as sad as this scene is, I really love this scene. It really just hits you with all the emotions. And just seeing all the characters respond in a way that's true to them, but also incredibly heartfelt. Luffy then grabs Usopp and Sanji pretty hilariously, drags them to the Mary. They all get back to the boat. The Straw Hat seemingly escapes safely, but the Mary is boarded by none other than Miss All Sunday without anyone noticing. And Miss All Sunday is voiced by none other than the great Yuriko Yamaguchi of Evangelion fame. I think for most people. I mean, she's in everything, but I think that's one of her more famous roles. She has such a beautiful voice. At first, she doesn't seem to have any threatening intent towards the Straw Hats, but seems more curious than anything. We learn that she is the strongest female agent and second-in-command of Baroque Works, only behind Mr. Zero, as she is Crocodile's partner. It looks like Miss All Sunday might have a Devil Fruit ability that's teased to be telekinesis, but it's not quite clear. Although, like I mentioned in the differences, in the anime they kind of tease slash spoil her ability, but I won't point it out just in case you didn't pick up on it and don't want to be spoiled. This scene is really interesting because of just how much mystery is surrounding her and what her motivations are. Luffy actually puts it very simply with his interactions, as she might seem to do things that are good and helpful, and then things that are bad 
bad and harmful. And she just kind of flip-flops between the two, and it's never really clear what her actual intentions are. And this, of course, frustrates Vivi to no end. She seems particularly interested in Luffy as she pays particular attention to him even more so than Vivi. Ultimately, she offers them an eternal post to a island called Nanimonai, which is just one hop away, apparently, from their ultimate destination, Alabasta. Now, for most Japanese audiences, it's pretty clear that this is a trick as Nanimonai literally translates to nothing there. So that island is called Nothing There Island. So it's pretty easy to tell that this is an island empty and deserted and won't be of any help. But with that, just as mysteriously as she appeared, she leaves on a giant turtle. And with Sanji and Usopp brought up to speed on the situation, they all prepared to head to the next island, Little Garden. Just a little side note too, one thing in general about these three episodes is the animation quality is actually really good here with a little bit more detail and polish than usual, I feel like. I think it was important for the Zoro Luffy fight and the introduction of the major saga setup and, prob- and it's probably why they put a little bit more effort into these episodes. But yeah, that is one thing that actually kind of stood out to me in these three episodes that I really enjoyed was just how well they were animated. Anyways, in closing, like the few episodes prior to this, I again really like these episodes as they're filled with so much world-expanding story and an exciting direction for the rest of the saga, as well as some really fun interactions between new and old characters. It really does an incredible job of setting up the next saga that is to come, and I can't wait to talk about the next few islands because, yeah, first of all, Little Garden is going to be awesome as well. Anyways, if you enjoyed this, send me a like or a comment. If you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Also, check out my Instagram and Twitter account at Podcast if you want updates of when I post new episodes or see some pictures. And yeah, so please check those out. So next week will actually be a another detour from the rewatch episodes as I will be uploading another ranking episode. So stay tuned for that. I won't tell you what the ranking will be about. That will be a surprise. But yeah, you all seem to enjoy the previous ranking episode so much that it gets like considerably higher listens and downloads than the other episodes. So yeah, I decided to do another ranking. So that will be on the docket for next week. As always, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast and stay tuned for the spoiler section if you're interested. Um, There are quite a bit of things that I want to talk about about a few specific subjects. So if you're interested, I hope you stick around for that. If not, I hope to see you on the next episode. Bye. Alrighty, so spoiler sections. Again, spoiler sections are going to be a little bit more off the cuff, not really that scripted. The first thing I wanted to talk about was obviously Crocodile. Now, Crocodile being revealed here, I just kind of wanted to more talk about the my initial reaction to Crocodile and also just kind of reflecting on Crocodile now that we know who he is after the whole Alabasta saga, as well as seeing him in Marine Ford and Impel Downs. But yeah, Crocodile, I mean, even in his first introduction, having heard that he has an $80 million or $80 million berry bounty seemed insane at the time. I mean, Arlong was at 20, Luffy was at 30. I mean, he was more than double, almost triple Luffy's bounty. And he was a Shibukai. And after what we've seen with Mihawk, I mean, we're set up to believe that we are are going to be facing someone on the same level as Mihawk. And it turns out, yeah, 
he was pretty freaking OP. And Crocodile is... I think Crocodile is definitely one of my favorite villains in the entire series. I'm not sure who I would put above him. I mean, Doflamingo for sure, I think would be up there. But I think, I don't know, Crocodile for me, he just seems a bit more charismatic. And while Doflamingo is not quite as likable, and I think that's by design, he is supposed to be a scummy, much scummier person. But I just remember seeing and hearing Crocodile in this section when I first read it and thinking, holy crap, how are they going to beat Crocodile? And then, you know, we'll obviously get into this more when we get to Alabasta and we get introduced to Crocodile himself and when Luffy faces him. It's just, yeah, it's crazy. And I really enjoyed the buildup to Crocodile and just sort of the introduction of his character and seeing just this behemoth of a villain and he he is definitely one of the greatest obstacles i feel like of one piece because of the fact that you had you had arlong be like the final boss of east blue but to have arlong be the final boss of the alabasta saga is pretty incredible and i still have really fond memories of reading that entire saga between little garden drum and alabasta and finally seeing that final battle pretty great the next thing i wanted to talk about is Ikaram. The fact that, I don't know, I always felt like his fake out death here was kind of, I don't know, pointless? I, I just didn't see, I guess I, it was good to see that Igaram, you know, there was a necessity for him not to make it to Alabasta in time. But at the same time, I just feel like his death means nothing almost. Like it was just not, there's no purpose to it other than that sort of shock value. And I know it sounds hypocritical because I praised that scene so much in my non-spoiler review. And yeah, I love that scene of them reacting to his death. But the fact that he just comes back is kind of cheap, I feel like. I, I feel like if they were going to kill him off here, they should have kept him dead. Now, I love Igaram as a character, and I'm glad that he's still alive. But at the same time, from like a storytelling standpoint... I feel like his teased death is just kind of pointless and a little disingenuous, but that's a really a small nitpick, and yeah, it's always nice to see Igaram again. And then finally, I wanted to talk about, obviously, Miss All Sunday, or as we all know her, Nico Robin. Now, Nico Robin, you know, when she was first introduced, I, I obviously did not think that she would have become a crew member. I don't think anyone saw that coming because it wasn't even on anyone's radar. I never, I never even considered it. I mean, she was a villain for one thing. And it's funny in this scene that I like the fact that it seemed like she was already incredibly interested in Luffy because of the fact that she must have known his middle initial due to his wanted poster as as having a D. And obviously, Nico Robin and her past later reveals that a she personally knew someone with a D middle name in in Haguar D Saul or Saul and uh, and the fact that she, she's studying the history of the world and the void century and the D's obviously play a big role in the world history and she's very keen and interested in someone with the middle name D and I think that's the biggest reason why she's there not so that she can mess with BB or to try and catch BB but it's more to see Luffy actually and I hate how in the anime they do tease the uh, her hana hana no mi it just seems really I don't know why they did that to be honest like why 
why couldn't it just be assumed that that she blew them up with like a cannon or explosives? Because I honestly like every time Oda teases us with the telekinetic devil fruit. And I don't know when he's actually going to drop that, but I mean, he's done it now with Buggy, with Robin. He's going to do it with Doflamingo once they get to, I think, a later on in the series after Alabasta when they introduce Kuma and Doflamingo for the first time. And each time it turns out not to be a telekinetic devil fruit, but it's 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 fun to see that. And I hate that they kind of spoil it, you know? It's supposed to be a big reveal when she fights Pell for the first time and she just completely completely overpowers him with the Hanahanonomi. And and that's another thing. And I'll get into this a little more, you know, later on when Robin becomes a crew member. But I really think that they just, or not they, I think Oda kind of underuses Robin. And and it kind of sucks, especially because she has such a cool devil fruit power that can do so much. But yeah, I mean, it is it is really interesting to see how, how Robin was introduced here as Miss All Sunday being a villain, not only a villain, but main villain who has immense power compared to the rest of the Straw Hats. And then just kind of turning out to be a good guy in the end is just i is yeah and i'll talk more about this obviously when we get to the end of alabasta and robin does join but her introduction here is incredibly solid and creates a lot of questions and it's and it's things like this that make one piece so fun is because you can actually like start to pick these out even even if you don't have the benefit of hindsight you can still tell that there was something weird about this interaction because even at the time i was like why would why would the second in command just show up like this and then not do anything to them and then almost even offer to help them but obviously it was a trick but it was just very strange and so you it, it really gets your mind turning It's like, what does she really want? And then each subsequent appearance, she still keeps you kind of confused as to what she wants. And it's really fun to actually theorize while watching this in real time. Obviously, we can do that now. And we, I mean, back then, there were only so much you can like watch and read because the internet wasn't as huge. But now, you know, we have like all these YouTube channels and podcasts (laughs) that talk about all this, which is really fun. And so, but yeah, back then it was really, it was a really interesting plot point. But anyways, that is pretty much all I wanted to talk about in spoiler sections. This episode, I guess, is going to run a little bit longer, but thank you for listening for those of you who stuck by and I will see you for the next episode. Bye. Bye.